Hello, everyone, and welcome to our second episode of One Digital Debates. In this series, we're putting One Digital experts head-to-head in friendly debates about hot topics in workforce management. In this episode today, we're going to be tackling a question that gets to the heart of the mainstream narrative surrounding the job market of the past two years, which is, namely, is America's labor crisis overhyped? My name is David Hughes. I'm One Digital's HR practice leader based in Atlanta, and I'll be the host and moderator for today's conversation. So let me start off by briefly introducing today's participants. Our first expert is Shelley McLean, and she'll be arguing that the significance of America's labor shortage is indeed being overhyped. Shelley, thank you for joining us today. And would you introduce yourself? Hi, David. Thanks so much for having me today to talk about this very important topic. I am a principal with One Digital and have been in the benefits industry, consulting industry for 27 years and work primarily with employers in the mid-sized market that are focused on recruiting and retention. So really appreciate the opportunity to speak to this important topic today. Well, thank you, Shelley. It is great to have you here. Next up, we've got Anne-Marie Gallus, who will be representing the opposing side and arguing that America's labor crisis is very significant and that the discourse surrounding it is grounded in reality. So thank you for joining us, Anne-Marie. And how about you tell us a little bit about yourself? Thanks so much, David, for having me. Yes, I'm Anne-Marie Gallus, and I am out of the North Bethesda office of One Digital, and I, too, have been in the consulting um, arena for about 28 years. So Shelly and I are in lockstep together with our uh, experience in the industry. That is great. So before we begin, I just want to explain to um, our listeners exactly what's going to go on today. So in a moment, we'll start off by having each participant give a brief opening statement that outlines their major arguments in favor of their chosen position. And after that, I'll be asking a series of questions about America's labor crisis to both of our debaters that will help guide the conversation and give them the opportunity to address each other's points head on. So by the end, it's gonna be up to you to decide who you think is right. So without further ado, we are gonna get started. So I'm gonna flip a coin to see who gets to give their opening statement first. We're gonna go heads and Marie, we're gonna go tails Shelley. (laughs) <laughs> and it comes up tail. So it's Shelly. So, so that we're going to start with Shelly. So let, let's get kick it off. So I'm going to frame this topic, I guess, with a bit of context. And I'm going to hand it over to you, Shelly, for your opening statement. So in May of 2021, uh, Professor Anthony Clocks at University College London coined the term great resignation. So we've all heard that. But it's since you know been used all across the world really in, in talking about the post-COVID labor market. And in 2021, last year, nearly 48 million Americans voluntarily quit their jobs. That was more than a quarter of the total country's workforce. And as far as we can tell with the data so far, 2022 is on a very similar, possibly higher track in terms of voluntary resignations, even though we've certainly spent the last two quarters in, in recession. So various commentators and experts throughout the media and business consulting world, including many of us here at One Digital, are talking about how this is a, you know, a very monumental reorganization of the labor market in America. But here's the question. Have the last 18 months really been as monumental and unique as these people like to claim? So Shelley, what do you think about that? Well, David, I would say that 
when you reflect on the past 18 months, there have been a lot of things that have been monumental, right? We've all had to shift and become more nimble in the way that we do business. One thing that should not be a surprise to most organizations is the labor shortage. If you look back to the studies that were done you know, 50 years ago um, and in between, there have been studies that forecasted that we would have this labor shortage. In 1997, there was a study done with from the Bureau of Labor and Statistics that said, you know, we had the convergence of a number of things. We have less babies being born back in the 1980s. We have two income families, so more income within each household that needed to be passed on. So we had the wealth transfer going to grandchildren and children. So the overhype of the labor shortage, you know, most employers knew that this was coming. It's been talked about. And what happened with the pandemic was the fast forward. It was ripping the Band-Aid off. We didn't have this paced labor shortage. It was the realization that things needed to change and that there needed to be a new way for individuals to do business. Great overview, great introduction. So, Anne-Marie, over to you. These last 18 months, have they really been as monumental and unique as people are claiming? So, there are a couple of things that Shelley and I do agree on, which is that, you know, in uh, February of 2020, 70% of businesses were already reporting a talent shortage, which is two times what was reported just five years prior to that. So this was coming and employers knew about it. But what happened is kind of a perfect storm where we also had immigration issues. We had a pandemic. So the question was partially, you know, is this a, a unique and monumental time? And absolutely, you know, first and foremost, we have to talk about the death toll that happened because of the pandemic. And, you know, as of October 21st, it was reported that there was a million sixty five one hundred and fifty two lives that were associated with deaths because of COVID. Now, you have your skeptics that will say that some people had comorbidities or some of those people were older. And so they weren't actually in the workforce. But even if you cut that number in half, there's been a huge impact. And then coupled with just the pivoting and people leaving the workforce and ultimately the reason why I feel that this isn't being overhyped is that this is going to have a major sociological ripple effect on infrastructure, younger people not coming into the workforce or folks not staying in the workforce, collecting taxes and paying into the social services systems. And then we also have the older population that is retiring and they're living longer and so the money that goes into the government to pay for social services for our older population and also caregivers for that same population is dwindling. So while it's not a totally unique situation, we knew it was coming. The pandemic was unique and had you know a huge impact. And I think that this isn't overhyped because it is going to have some major um, implications down the road for us. All right. So thank you both for such a, a good introduction to the pro and the con of, of both sides there. So we're going to move on now to the kind of the rapid fire section, the questions. 
we're, we're going to go through five questions and we're going to sort of alternate who goes first. So the first question is, is this a COVID hangover, right? So as we talked about this great resignation thing beginning in 2021, and it was, it was really closely tied to COVID, you know, the thinking was that the downturn of 2020 and the the degree of uncertainty caused by the virus kind of froze the country's labor market and created a lot of pent up demand. And that when things started to get back to normal, all this energy got released and people just started moving around and a bunch of jobs opened up, but that it would settle down and that we'd reach a new equilibrium pretty shortly and things would get kind of back to normal. So now that we're at least a year and a half past that point, Anne-Marie, what do you, what do you make of that hypothesis? And can all of this really be explained as just a transient reaction to COVID? You know, I actually, I don't think so. And, you know, I'll give some statistics first. And the first one is that in 2007, 67% of the civilian population or those that could actually be in the workforce, that's where our level was. And that dropped to 63% in 2016. We had an uptick in 2018, 2019, when the economy was doing better, and now it has dropped down again. So we had an issue before the pandemic, which has really just been exacerbated. And a couple of those things have lent to that. First is the boomers retiring, those that were born between 1945 and 1962. And so they're leaving the workforce earlier because I just think the pandemic created a lot of stress in the workforce. And if they had an opportunity to retire and could financially do that, they left early. And so with them, has they've taken leadership and also a ton of industry knowledge. So that's had a negative impact on companies. We had the pandemic. We had immigration policies that have gone back and forth. And with the pandemic, we had uh, difficulty having people come into the country to fill jobs that they normally would. We also have a major opioid crisis. So in 2015, it's reported that 860,000 people were out of the workforce due to addiction issues. Millennials are also, as Shelley had mentioned before, inheriting the wealth of the boomers. And so their need for getting into the workforce has dwindled a little bit. And then also we have a shrinking population. You know, it's um, statistically in order to replace ourselves in the marketplace, there has to be 2.1 births for every female. And um, assuming some infertile, I mean, infant mortality rates, but we're standing at about 1.8. So along with all the other factors that I mentioned, we also are just not replacing ourselves in the workforce as well. And so that's, you know, this isn't just a COVID thing. It's kind of a perfect storm of a lot of things that coupled with the economy, you know, companies are having to make job offers and perks and benefits and higher salary because they're battling in the not talent pool, but the talent puddle to get people to fill positions in their company. And with this economy, the way it is and interest rates going up, that's not sustainable. So there's a lot of factors here. So again, I just, I don't see it as an overhype. Um, I think we really need to pay close attention to it. Well, you just said something I've never heard before, and I love it. You, you said it's not the talent pool anymore. It's a talent puddle. I love it. I'm going to start <laughs> using that. That's great. Thank you. So, Shelly, the, the other side of that argument. So you can make an argument that this is transient, that it was an unforeseen shock to the system, and that we might resume to equilibrium pretty soon. What, what are your thoughts on that? 
Um, so I don't know, you know, hangover or is it really going to be a great win? Right. I do think people leave, left the market and people decided, no, I really don't want to work 40 hours a week. And I think there are employers out there that are saying, you know, we don't really need one person to work 40 hours. Maybe we just need two people who work 20 hours, or maybe we can use technology to do things because we haven't really forced that. We haven't forced our hand to use technology as much as we probably should have. So maybe we can just create efficiencies and evaluate how we've done business. What a great opportunity if you're an employer to level set on expectations and create efficiencies and create business models that are more sustainable. It's such a great opportunity to evaluate the way we've done things historically and the way that we've lived historically and determine what are the positives, um, what are the positive changes that we can make to do things better. So going back to the normal state is not going to happen. The new way of life from an employer perspective and from an employee perspective are going to level set to some to some degree i think i think some people made extreme decisions employers and people with their lives we're in a new world we we truly are but we knew it was going it was coming the band-aid was just ripped off excellent so i'm going to follow up shelly with that let's think about history for a second you know, there, there's argument that, and kind of alluding back to the last question about it being just a hangover or just a shock to the system. You know, there's others that say it's literally unprecedented, right? That word got thrown around a whole lot. But what do you think the data is saying about that? And is the labor market of the last couple of years, you know, truly unique? Do we have a historical equivalent to what's happened right now? I would say, um, and you're testing my my history knowledge, <laughs> I, I would say we're in a whole nother realm of reality, right? We haven't seen anything to this degree happen all at one time in an 18-month period. And where you want to... Yep, I'm happy to chirp in. So I would agree that the last 18 months have been monumental. However, historically, during World War II, we had labor shortages. We had a recession in 2008. We had a recession actually in the 1970s as well. So there has been times in history, this is just a different way of getting there, what's happened in the last 18 to 24 months. So um, we have seen this happen before. And the other thing that I think is noteworthy is that college education soared with the boomers. Men and women were going to school. And we're actually now seeing a backslide in college enrollment, especially with men. And so that also, I think, is going to have a ripple effect. Um, and employers are going to have to, you know, Think very carefully about approaching that situation because if a lot of positions uh, are requiring a college degree and we're seeing a drop in enrollment, is that also going to have an impact? Yeah. Okay. So so far we talked kind of in generalities and large scale. I I, I want to drill down now a little bit into the problem, namely about is are these things industry specific? 
or is it more broad? So people who who write about this stuff do talk in generalizations a whole lot about resigning employees, right? And that employees are fed up with the status quo in general, and that people are quitting because they want more flexibility in general. So do you think that that actually holds up? Has the great resignation really affected the entire workforce? Are these motivations the same everywhere? Or can we say that some of this is industry-specific or class-specific? And we're going to start with Anne-Marie on that one. So, you know, I would say that part of the great, um, you know, characteristic of Americans is that we are innovative and we pivot and we work hard and we come together. And innovation has just been absolutely key over the last 18 to 24 months of all as all of us were sent home and had to learn a new way to work. But there was also a negative uh, impact by class and also by gender. You know, this one I I take uh, to heart because women specifically took a huge step back um, during the last 18 to 24 months because we were sent home, because kids weren't going to school and daycares were closed. As frequently the primary caretakers, women either left the workforce entirely, they went to part-time, or they didn't uh, take advantage of advancements that maybe they were qualified for. And so, you know, from what I've seen, we probably stepped, you know, as I'm reading different periodicals, we've stepped back 20, 30, or 40 years in our advancement in the workforce. So that one hurts. (laughs) Um, But on top of that, absolutely, there were specific industries that were negatively impacted, and that's retail, travel, transportation, you know, trucking is a huge major issue. Obviously, we can see we're having uh, supply chain issues. Airlines hospitality has been hit the hardest. And, you know, coupled with women and immigration, it is going to be difficult to for those industries specifically to be able to catch up to others. Um, so there are industries that flourished, you know, look at pharma, look at biotech. So some did better and others really were were hurt by the last um, 18 to 24 months. Kelly, what are your thoughts on that? I think that industries, depending on whether or not they require people to be on site and not having the ability to work remotely, I think that's one of the long lasting impacts, right? Like how are the manufacturing companies going to compete with the industries that do allow for remote workplaces and more flexibility? You know, I meet with a number of our clients that don't have that flexibility. So how is that going to change the country as a whole or the world as a whole, honestly? And how are those companies going to shift in their mindset to how they do business? You know, I think that one thing we're going to see and one thing that one of the lasting industry specific challenges is going to be how are the employees or how are people in general going to evaluate what their values are and what's important to them? You know, not everybody loves to work remotely. There are people that value the face-to-face relationship. So how do employers 
approach recruiting moving forward. You know, different industries are going to have different processes for that. So I think, you know, again, it is industry specific. It is systemic, some positive, some, you know, not so positive. But at the end of the day, the realignment of industry, I think, is going to allow for many employers to surface as more successful than they've ever been. All right. Thank you. So building on that topic a little bit, you know, when we hear about 4 million people quitting, where did they go? What did they do? Was it, Shelly, as you just said, an opportunity for winning companies to attract better talent, right? You know, it's easy to misinterpret the news that's out there. And I, I'm thinking back to Econ 2 at UC Santa Barbara in 1982, I guess. You're dating yourself, David. I, yes, I <laughs> certainly know that. I, I was also going to say, I'm also the only one who is consciously aware of the recession in the 1970s. Yes, that's right. <laughs> but what, what the professor said then was lies, damned lies, and statistics, right? And that you can make statistics dance for you and, and tell a story that may or may not be true. So, Shelly, again, what, what do you think is really going on with that movement of people? Is it that they're exiting the workforce permanently to maybe a little bit about what Amory talked earlier because baby boomer money, money coming to them, to getting by on one income? Or do you think that they're resigning because they're upgrading to a better job somewhere else? And really, does that support or negate the idea that the labor crisis is is overhyped? I think that the leaving the workforce is extremely overhyped. I think statistics show that people are reevaluating their work-life balance and statistically, the higher percentage of people that are leaving the workforce are actually leaving because they want more of that balance and they're shifting to an employer that may not require full-time employment. They, we know, we have all heard of the gig employees, right? The employees that decide they're going to go work two or three jobs where they have more flexibility, whether they're driving for Uber Eats or they're doing some sort of online marketing for a cosmetic company. So those are the the jobs that are seeing the influx of employees that are gravitating to them because we're hearing loud and clear that employees want flexibility. They want that work-life balance. They want their employers to align with their values. It's been, you know, it's really been interesting as I'm out there talking with employers and surveying employees. Employees don't view retirement the way that they did back in the 90s. Uh, Certainly the I'm going to stop working at the age of 65 and I'm going to collect Social Security and I'm going to start withdrawing my 401k. Those days, because of the gig economy, because of the flexibility, we're seeing employees working much longer, just working differently. So leaving the workforce the way that it's looked in the past Absolutely. The leaving 
the workforce to just be retired? Not. I think that is, I, I would say that that is extremely overhyped. We just have people that want to work, but want to do it on different terms. Emory, what do you think about the data? Cradle to grave employment is really no longer a thing. I mean, it's a very small percentage of people that do that. So turnover is high. It is uh, that is where the crisis is, is that if employers continue to do the same thing as they always have, they're going to run into trouble. And then I, I do have to ask, as, as everybody's been reading the statistics and listening to the news and reading the paper, did either of you at any point think to yourselves, like, where's everybody going? Is there like some big concert out in the desert or big party that everybody's going to that I wasn't invited to? I'm like, where, where are all these people going? Um, they're in the basement playing Call of Duty. <laughs> if that's all they're doing, then I'm not jealous. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I think the data does not take into account people that are leaving their jobs and then going somewhere else. So I think that is true, that those numbers may be overinflated. But where I see the real crisis is that from an employer's perspective, because of the turnover in all sorts of industries, the cost of that turnover is truly where the crisis is to replace an employee that has left the company, it's typically between 50 to 60% of that person's salary to bring somebody else new on and train them and get them up to speed. So the, you know, somebody's coming in and you think that they're going to be working for you and you put all this time and effort and money into ramping them up and then they're out the door and they bring that industry knowledge and that training to another organization, that's costly to an employer. So that's really important. Um, and the other thing is the reason why I believe that it's a crisis is again, focusing on those boomers because with them retiring early, they are just taking a huge amount of knowledge, industry knowledge, leadership qualities, and the gap between those boomers and the people that are going to replace them is large. And so we're going to end up with people in leadership, maybe a little bit prematurely, and that's going to have an impact on the success of different organizations. So, you know, I see I see opportunity, but I also see a real sense of urgency and crisis here if we don't, if companies don't really mitigate folks that are exiting or figuring out how to retain the employees that they're bringing in the door because it is just expensive to replace them. If I could just, I think the opportunity there is challenging employers to think about those folks differently. If they've hit the stage in life where they want to retire, many I've seen have retired and, and have decided they don't want to be retired because it wasn't everything that they've cracked up. It was cracked up to be or what they envisioned. And now they want to go back to work. Why not go to them and say, we really need your mentoring? That's what many of the younger generations are looking for. Let's take that knowledge and, and leadership that we have on these employees that might potentially retire, and let's meld that, that with the younger folks with a formal process, a formal program for them to mentor. And maybe they don't have to do it on a full-time basis. So, Anne-Marie, sticking with you for a second and, and continuing on that topic. So, you mentioned just a moment ago that this churn, this turnover 
this mobility in the workforce does have a transactional cost, right? When people do Absolutely. move from place to place, that there's a there's a cost to that. So do you think that that is a sign of healthy competition and that it's the market kind of correcting itself and that it's forcing employers to up their own game? Um, or is it, you know, a real deep problem in terms of, of, a, of the, um, the demographic drought and that um, it just kind of is what it is um, because of the, of the larger factors with regard to the demographics, again, or is it just a healthy thing that's, that's making people sit up and think? Well, I think that the next step to all of this uh, big puzzle that we're dealing with is the economy. And you're already starting to hear some of the larger organizations having rifts and layoffs. And it's, you know, 10% of their population, 5% of their population. That conversation is becoming a little bit more prevalent. And so what I think is going to happen is that it really has been an employee's market for the last 18, 24 months where employees have been able to, uh, they've been empowered and they've been able to ask for things that maybe 36 months ago, an employer never would have offered higher salaries, more perks, remote work, all those different things. With the recession that we look like we're going into, I feel that the pendulum is going to swing in the other direction towards the employer and that there is going to be a little bit more of a level set and that those demands that are being made by employees is really going to kind of temper itself, um, which will be interesting to, to watch. And that those who maybe did drop out of the workforce because they were having a recalibration about how they wanted to approach life, they may have some difficulty when they come, when they emerge from the basement and the call of duty is over, finding a job. So it will be interesting to see. And you say that when the open jobs number just went up by 400,000 to 10.7 million. So you still think that that it's going to mitigate itself when? When I do I think get closer to equilibrium. Well, I think as we're heading into, I would say probably and obviously not an economist or you know a financial analyst, but as we're in everything that I'm reading if we're going to head into this recession and it's going to be for a sustained period of time, I think that that is where we're going to be able to, you know, see some sort of leveling of the playing field. So I would say probably, you know, over the next eight to 16 months, we're going to see that happen. And, and Shelly, what do you think about that transaction cost of, of the, of the people moving the mobility in the workforce? Is it natural? Is it healthy? I do think it's healthy. Um, I do think it is natural. I do think that it gives the employers opportunity to, again, redefine the way that they've they've done business in the past. Do I think that we're going to see employers laying off mass numbers of employees? I think there's a little fear there. Uh, I think it's going to be at a slower pace, honestly. There's still that pain that employers felt. And I do think that we have employees that left the workforce that with inflation and, you know, with the 
looming economy moving forward that there's going to be a reevaluation of how they're working or and where they're working and what they're doing. So we will have some some people coming back into the workforce. Just not sure that it's going to be at the same level that we would it had we not had the pandemic. I think people are going to be more cautious about letting people go. I think it's going to be a multi-pronged approach of, okay, how do we create efficiencies within our organization to become more profitable? Or to, to to be sustainable, right? How do we cut costs and it not be in our workforce? Because we still feel lots of pain of that turnover. The cost of turnover was on the forefront of everybody's mind. And it topped PL items, you know, for 12 months at least. So I think it will happen. Um, I just think that it's going to be slower than some folks are anticipating. All right. Great conversation on those questions. I thank you both for your thoughtful contributions there. And it's interesting that there's crossover really between the pros and the cons. And I think that that's that shows how thoughtful we are as an organization about this topic. You know, we, we all work on this all day, every day. We see these problems, you know, happening in real time with our with our customer base. And so I, I appreciate your thinking on that. So we're going to move to your kind of summary or your closing thoughts, you know, as, as we wrap up. So I want to give each of you an opportunity to make a closing statement. So let's again, let's go back to Anne-Marie here. So what do you think the the key takeaways are for people today? Anything you want to stress or bring up that you didn't get a chance to? I guess I would direct it to employers. And a, a few thoughts that, and one that we've mentioned is when you have the, the um, older population in your employer group, uh, your boomers, exiting the workforce that you think about having them. We call them casual employees. We've had several um, consultants retire over the last 24 months, and they've stayed on on a part-time basis for at least 12, and in some instances, 18 months as they've exited to be mentors to the up-and-coming consultants. And it really has proven to be a a very successful formula in passing the baton in our office for our clients so that it's a seamless transition. So I would encourage uh, employers to think about doing that. I also think it's important that there's a focus on career pathing. So the folks that are coming new into the workforce, what you see and hear is that they want to know you know, that they're not just filling a seat, that there is going to be a future for them within the organization. And so having not just an annual review, but maybe quarterly check-ins with those folks to find out where their interests lie so that they remain challenged and they want to stay and engaged with the um, organization. So career pathing is going to be a huge focus for them. Um, And also hiring and thinking outside of the box. You know, moms that are now able to come back into the workforce that maybe have had to leave over the last 24 months um, to consider them. They haven't become obsolete. Um, 
folks that don't have a college degree, you know, thinking about them and that is experience, you know, in the workforce is that maybe as valuable as having a degree. Internship programs, a huge way to, you know, unearth um, great candidates for your organization. And then also being more flexible about where and when they can work and considering remote positions. Um, You know, 10 years ago, it was Nobody's working from home because we don't think they're working. And that's just not the case anymore. Um, and then also, rather than just focusing on somebody's skill set, hiring for attitude and willingness and an interest in learning. Um, you know, we've really found that over the last 24 months that attitude really, in some ways, um, far outweighs the skill set. You can teach things to people, but you can't teach an attitude. So I guess those would be my takeaways and, and words of advice for employers. Wonderful insights. Thank you so much, Shelley. What are your thoughts? I would say, in addition to all of those points, really more 30,000 foot level and speaking to business leaders, you know, seven out of 10 workers say that they, the leadership of an organization, the trust that they have for that leadership is more important than it's ever been in history. So what an opportunity for the leadership of an organization to be nimble and to view this great resignation as a great reset, you know, to bring a new and more sustainable path for the employees. You know, the employees are looking to their leaders to see how organizations adapt to everything that's going on at one time. So it's an opportunity for companies and leaders within the companies to reinvent. You know, ultimately, fair to say that the ability for organizations to reboot and to create an operation that's maybe more lean and more efficient and more aligned with culture and values you know, that that they're the companies that are going to come out of this new way of life and be more successful. Let's reflect, let's regroup, and let's reset because the normal as we knew it is gone. It's in the rearview mirror. Well, here, here, as the uh, the HR consultant here on the panel who, who's been talking about these things, I used to sort of feel like I was kind of a lone person in the in the field waving the flag. Uh, I am really inspired by the thoughtfulness that the both of you come to this problem and understanding that it's a real business problem for our customers. And that I believe that we're, we're going to have this growing chasm between winners and losers in business that dealing with these issues that we've you've all talked about today are the people-related business problem of the next 30 years, I think unquestionably. And so thank you for your, for your leadership on it. I think it shows how different we are as an organization. So great, great conversation. Really appreciate it. It's up to our listeners to decide what, what they think about all this. Um, we are going to turn on a LinkedIn poll on the One Digital account to um, give you a chance to sound off um, in the comments um, about your own thoughts on the topic. I'm also going to shamelessly plug my recently released white paper uh, that's called Preparing for a Permanently Shrinking Workforce. 
It's full of all kinds of statistics. <laughs> Hopefully they're not lies and damned lies. I think they're not. <laughs> um, but it, it's really talking about the long-term outlook from employment in the, in the country, somewhat globally as well. And, um, you know, that we're really kind of at the, at the beginning of this demographic drought. So you can find that paper on One Digital's website on our new demographic drought hub. It's sort of a subsection of the, of the website that we built that has all kinds of information on this topic. And, and more that are, are related to it. You know, we really pride ourselves on being your one-stop shop for workforce management expertise. And we are here to support you and help you build winning strategies and empower your employees. And we really thank you for, for listening and we hope to catch up with you again on future episodes. Thank you all very much. Really enjoyed the conversation, David. Thank you. Thanks, David. Appreciate it.